Everybody and welcome back to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. And oh my and god, it is wonderful to hear those words again. Yeah, it has been a uh, a minute and a half since we <laughs> last recorded. Uh, sorry about that, everyone. Just kind of, you know, gestures at everything. The world got away from us and we were doing some different stuff on each of our ends that just kind of like took the wind out of the sails for a while. But we are back and we are excited to be back and we are... Uh, we're going to get back into it. We're going to hit the ground running. We're going to start uploading again. Uh, again, as sorry our, for As the... our friend Dakota uh, likes to say, Oh my god, we're back again. <laughs> full. We are giving you the full Backstreet. Backstreet's back, alright. And uh, I think this week, just because we've been gone for so long, we're not going to try and do anything too heady right away. We're just going to kind of talk about like what we have been up to, what we've been playing, and what it's been making us think about kind of in the in the sort of game storytelling aesthetic idea of our podcast. So Dylan, I know you're I know you have been waiting to hear my take. Yes. So let's just start with uh the thing that you want to talk about. Yep. I have been playing Paper Mario the Origami King. If you have it's listened so... to the show before <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to say it's so weird hearing from your voice Paper Mario and that not being followed by the thousand year door (laughs) (laughs) yeah if you've listened to the show before you know that i'm a big fan of the thousand year door it is easily in my top five favorite games of all time uh and i have loved it for a very long time and however i would not consider myself a fan of like the wider paper mario franchise just because i never owned a wii or a wii u or really even a ds i i would borrow my siblings ds occasionally to play pokemon Um, but I never owned one myself, so I was never able to play, like, Super Paper Mario or Sticker Star or... I I do recommend Super Paper Mario. I haven't, like, I myself have never owned it, but, like, I played both my next-door neighbors and my cousin's copy of it, and I had a bunch of fun each time. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I just, I haven't played them. I have no opinion in either direction about any of them, just because I haven't gotten my feet wet. Um... But yeah, I, I do own a Switch, so I picked up Origami King when it released, and I have was very excited to kind of get back into this series, and I have been enjoying it with, like, an asterisk next to it. Uh, and that's kind of, I think, one of the things that Dylan very much wants me to, to talk about. Yeah, I, w- I want to dive into the, uh, nuance might not be the right word, but I'm, I am curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the, the caveat here is that I have not beaten it, I'm about... I would say probably four to six hours in so far, I've completed the first, like, objective of the game, and I'm halfway-ish towards the second objective. So this is not going to be a, a, like, comprehensive review, uh, and my, I am perfectly willing for my opinion on this game to trend either up or down, depending on, you know, the next however many hours that I spend with it. But overall, I have been trying very, very hard to judge it entirely on its own merits. I I am trying my damnedest not to compare it to Thousand Year Door, because that is that is an unfair comparison for most games. Like, 
<laughs> Obviously, their Thousand Year Door, you know, it's not the gold standard for character action games or anything. I'm not going to do anything like that. But if you're if you give me a game in the same vein, if you give me a like witty, joke-filled, turn-based RPG adventure game and ask me, is this as good as Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door? That is a high bar to clear. Um, but I'm I like like I said, I'm just I'm trying very hard not to let that opinion color my opinion of of Origami King. And the main opinion that I have so far is that I think it is a great adventure game. I don't know really why the combat is what it is. And Dylan and I have talked a little bit off mic about this. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you haven't seen it, in the older Paper Mario games, in like Super Mario RPG and then the first first Paper Mario and Thousand Year Door, the way combat worked was very like traditional turn-based JRPG with timed button inputs that would impact how well the combat worked so like it you know on the surface it's your standard your party lined up on one end of the screen the enemies lined up on the other and you select which way you would like to hurt them uh but then going into that you get little moments of like if you time a button press or a stick flick or like keep something lined up on the screen at the right moment, you will do extra damage, or you can do the same thing to prevent damage when the enemy is attacking you. And then I think, and again, this is where my, the fact that I haven't played the other Paper Marios is going to hurt me a little bit. I know they got away from that somewhat in the, in like Super Paper Mario and Sticker Star, right? Yeah, uh, Super Paper Mario was more of a platformer with like some light puzzle platforming as well. Uh, I haven't played uh, Sticker Star Color Splash, but like I believe they are a bit more adventure game-esque with like kind of really watered down uh rpg combat okay yeah like watered um, down not as like a derogative thing but just like you know uh de-emphasizing stats cr- de-emphasizing equipment yeah um, badges not as not as crunchy you. as something like a, a final fantasy <laughs> yeah yeah basically um and yeah so so with Origami King, what they have done is rather than combat being JRPG style, there's still a little bit of that, but the emphasis in the combat is on this new mechanic of, like, tile puzzles. So all of the standard combat, you enter combat, and then Mario is in the center of a a series of four concentric rings on which the enemy will be placed in, like, the segmented portions of the rings. And the beginning of each round of combat, you have a certain number of moves that you can use to line up the enemies into either a straight line that you can jump across or a two-by-two block that you can hit with your hammer. And if you manage to get all enemies on the board into one of those two configurations so that there are no enemies existing outside of, like, those hittable modes, you get a bonus to your attack damage. Also... They have set it up so that you get the same number of actions per combat as there are the minimum number of those configurations that you can make. So if there are, you know, groups of enemies that can be formed into three jumpable lines, you will have three actions in combat before the enemy gets their turn. So they are incentivizing you to solve these puzzles, to get everyone lined up, to ideally be able to win those combat encounters in one move before the enemy has a chance to hit you. And I don't hate this in theory. <laughs> in theory, but I, I despise it in reality. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but like the, the issue I'm having is that, like I said, I'm about four or five hours in, 
and I'm waiting for it to like get harder. Mm. Like there is challenge, and I have I will say I have lost a fight in this game, but the challenge comes from like you know, you having to do these spatial reasoning puzzles to figure out how to do it, how to, like, get everything in place in, you know, two twists or slides of these rings, so that it ends up feeling like, well, if you can't figure that out in, you know, two moves or 45 seconds, then the game punishes you, and there's not really any recourse. Like, there, there's no version of a combat encounter where you, like, where you fuck up the puzzle aspect but are then able to salvage it through creative choices in the RPG combat portion. Mm-hmm. And similarly, there's no, like, if you do line everything up perfectly, then it's like, okay, well, this isn't a combat encounter anymore. I just have to hit A until everyone falls down. Right. The thing that kind of bothers me about, like, this design in theory, because I haven't played Origami King, is that RPG combat is in itself a puzzle, and it's about, like, identifying what enemies are in front of you, who's weak to what, and how to eliminate them as efficiently as possible while still preserving your resources. Yeah, yeah, like, Um, to compare it to another game I've been playing during quarantine, I picked Octopath Octopath Traveler back up. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah, and Octopath Traveler's combat is really good. Like, it is, at least in my opinion, and I I am not as deep into, like, more crunchy FF7 style combat well, uh, I, I would argue Octopath Traveler's combat's crunchier than FF7's. FF7's is, is like, a very simple game. <laughs> I guess that's fair. Um, but I guess, like, in general, I haven't played a ton of games in that vein. But, like, Octopath Traveler, like you said, it's it's a puzzle. You need to make the most use out of your action resources and mana and, like, everybody's unique ability that they have and manage all of those resources in order to like most accurately and most efficiently take out the enemies in front of you all of whom have different weaknesses and different things that they can do to hurt you and different like priorities in terms of who needs to be taken care of and that to me is like infinitely more engaging than solve a sliding block puzzle and then hit a a bunch of times Mm -hmm. i know it sounds like i'm bagging on this game a lot i did say i like it in general i like the majority of it uh, but I did want to get this out because, like, this is my one big nitpick uh, about Origami King so far. Mm-hmm. I will say the boss battles are way more fun. I believe it. Because the way the boss battles are laid out is that rather than Mario being in the center of the rings, the boss is in the center of the rings. And you need to rotate the rings, some of which have different, like, action tiles on them. So it'll be, like, a turn left or a go forward tile or an attack tile or a get an extra attack action tile to buff you when you get to that attack tile. So then it turns into a challenge of, like, how do you most efficiently get Mario the most resources that you can as he travels along the path you are able to build to the boss? And the bosses all have their unique gimmicks of, like, they're going to be vulnerable in certain moments, or, like, if you get extra actions, you'll be able to do combos of jumps and hammers that are going to be more effective, or, like, they manage to build much more interesting encounters out of the bosses, but I'm five hours in and I've fought three bosses, whereas I've had dozens of encounters with random Goombas that give me coins that are only useful in paying the toads to make the battles easier, and there's no... Like, I don't even want to complain about there not being an XP system, because, like, 
not every game needs an XP system. I also feel like, actually, uh, I, I, I've been going back and forth lately on like whether or not RPGs need EXP anymore. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they do. Or at I the very like least, I don't think they. There's more creative ways to. There's more creative ways to incorporate that uh, character growth in an RPG beyond experience points. I yeah, think. I mean, like even something like, and again, I. I'm going to do the thing I said I'm trying not to do. I'm going to compare it to Thousand Year Door. Uh, <laughs> but like Thousand Year Door has an EXP system and, and every level you gain, you can either get more health, more flower points, which are used to use special moves or more badge points so that you can equip more like items or like, you know, special powers to use in combat. Mm -hmm. But the actual like character growth moments are all items you get for important story moments in the game. It has more of a, like, yeah, metroidvania light kind of actual character progression. Uh, whereas the experience point side of thing is much more for just, like, making combat easier if you want to take the time to grind. But really, you don't need to. That game is, is tuned well enough that you'll be the right level, mm -hmm. assuming you're not just running away from every fight. Yeah, I, uh, I don't love the game Chrono Cross. Um, I enjoy the... I enjoy the art, I enjoy the story, but uh, I do think one of the things I really like about it is that you only quote-unquote level up after a boss fight. Oh, um, that's rad. And all of your abilities and tools at your disposal are actually items that you find in the world, rather that's than, really cool. than being you know, something that your character has to learn through level gain. Yeah. And to to take a slight tangent out of, vi out of video game zone... I kind of like that. Like, that's how I like to structure, like, D&D &D games that I run. Mm -hmm. I very rarely will track experience points that I am giving out to my players. Yeah. Because I, like, I would rather they get a level up for a fight that either, like, ends up being really challenging mechanically or signifies something important for them narratively. And giving them that reward is, like, a moment of growth because of that more organically than just, like... Mm -hmm. You killed your tenth rat. <laughs> um, I I used to really hate this about Final Fantasy IX, but it's grown on me since I've played other, uh, like you know, Dragon Quest games and other mm -hmm. games where you have abilities that are uh, tied to equipment. But um, in Final Fantasy IX, you have abilities that are tied to your equipment, and if you remove that item, you don't have that spell anymore, or you don't have that passive ability, or whatever. Um, and the only way to learn that ability permanently is to use that weapon or item for a certain amount of time or a certain number of battles. And I just, as I've as I've played more and more of these, I, I like that system a lot more because now it's more about the options of like, yeah, sure, this sword has plus eight strength or something, um, but this plus six sword, dagger, whatever, allows me to steal things more often or you know whatever yeah and it, it's kind of weighing the pros and cons and they're not being a truly superior uh weapon choice yeah and i i think that that's always more interesting like i i get burnt out on games like i this is a while ago but i i picked up destiny 2 mm -hmm. and oh did you now like this was a bit ago uh okay. but like i enjoyed it i liked the lore, I like the aesthetic, I like the world that they have created. Mm -hmm. 
but the combat, just like the fact that I will find a gun that I'm like, man, this gun is sick. It shoots like actual like bolts of con- concentrated sunlight, and it's a it's a revolver with a sun in it, and it oh, shoots man. You the play sun's Boktai, rays. The sun is in your hands. Yeah, basically, like this this fist of mine is burning red. Um, <laughs> and then you know, two hours later, I find another pistol that is just like you know a pistol but its numbers are higher so now i feel stupid for using my cool oh, sun gun bummer. and it's like and you know for those of you who out there who are much more into destiny 2 maybe there's a way to like reskin those items that i just like wasn't there at yet but that like that kind of progression where like the raw numbers are more important than like the cool flavor and cool like you know side benefits that a weapon gives you I think that's way more interesting and paints a way more interesting world, especially for something like a, a Final Fantasy or a Destiny where they're trying to imply that, like, maybe this weapon is, like, a relic from an ancient warrior or something. This is a complete tangent, uh, but stick with me real quick. Just quick shout-out to Parasite Eve 1 for the PS1 that allowed you to customize your guns in such a way that you could, like, have a sniper rifle that fires acid grenades that do poison damage yo that's rad as hell i love parasite eve one it's so good dude that's wild i need to find this game yeah yeah dude um let's move back to paper mario let's go back to paper mario we took a little bit of a we took a long walk uh for a minute there we were talking about rpgs yeah uh so yeah that's that's my my negative side of of origami king so far i will say the world is beautiful like it is a gorgeous looking game. Yeah, it this has is kind honestly of more what I wanted to get at. Uh sorry, yeah. keep talking. I just wanted to It has to... the best looking water I have maybe ever seen in a video game. <laughs> it looks really good. Bro. Like the water in this game is beautiful. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know why they needed to flex on us that hard. <laughs> but like the the environments are great. The, it has this great sense of openness and one of the things I love is that and I think they like this is something that I'm not going to say they took it directly from Hollow Knight, but it gave me major Hollow Knight vibes. Um, throughout the world, you will find benches. And at a bench, you can sit, and you will ha- they will have a brief conversation about the environment you're in with your little origami sidekick character, Olivia. And if you have any any side characters following you, like uh, Bob-omb, he will chime in. But there will be this little conversation, but while that's happening... The camp, they're all situated in like these scenic locations. So you'll sit at the bench and the camera will do this slow pull back to give you this like slightly more panoramic view of the environment you're in. And it's such a cool little thing of like, we know that the world is the star of this game. Mm-hmm. We know that these environments are like the thing about this game that is going to stick with you. And so they want to hammer that home. And I just, I really love those little moments. Yeah, um, and that's that's kind of what draws me to a lot of video games is the environment and uh, just give, like giving that variety. And that's that's what I really enjoyed about watching you play Thousand Year Door all those years ago. Yeah, and I, like, again, I'm, I'm not nearly deep enough in to talk about, like, big picture comparisons, but, like, mm-hmm. it does not have quite the same variety as thousand year door i have yet to I, arrive I don't know at if a any game does yeah, i'm gonna be so... real with you like ff7 maybe comes close <laughs> <laughs> like ff7 and 8 back when they were like we can do anything yeah like i haven't yet found a 
murder mystery tournament arc. I haven't gotten to the Agatha Christ- Christie train ride. But there is a lot of, like, very beautiful difference in aesthetic. Like, the the first area you go through is just, like, kind of very standard, like, green lush forest. And then the area I'm in currently is, like, this eternally autumnal mountainside. So it's, like, just beautifully saturated red and mm, orange and yellow all over the place. And, like, these really lovely, colorful areas that I just I it's it's a gorgeous world and a lot of the a lot of the charm of the old Paper Mario games in the dialogue is still there like there's still a lot of very clever writing there's still a lot of heart in this game there's a lot of like you know little jokes with NPCs that they'll have their one-liner and run away and some of them are genuinely really funny uh not quite as funny as the first interaction you have in in thousand year door also featuring a mafia shakedown happening in the background but you know not everything can be perfect <laughs> but yeah i don't know like i don't have a ton more to say just because again I, I i imagine we'll come back to this uh mm-hmm. once i have beaten it and i can i can be a little bit more all-encompassing but the i guess the thing i kind of want to leave off on is again a discussion that we were having before dylan i think it i think this game would be better if it wasn't trying to involve combat yeah um actually that as you were talking about that earlier it made me want to suggest that for next week our episode might be games that would be stronger without combat i'm down yeah that sounds fun hey yeah, sneak there's a lot of rpgs listeners. i can point to where i'm like yo why couldn't this just be an adventure game yeah. or a visual novel yeah but i guess we'll 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 leave this as a teaser for next time yeah. um but in in short, I think that the biggest strengths of this game so far are the writing and the environment and just, like, exploring this world. And I think that if they had streamlined it and just removed the interruption of the combat, because that's that's the thing, is at this point, the combat, the random encounters, they feel like an interruption of the flow of play mm-hmm. rather than something that is adding to my experience. Oh, um, dude, I, I want to talk about this so badly now. The more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm excited for next week. Yeah, next week will be, hey, next week we're going to be back and we're going to have a real topic, y'all. What? Um, but yeah, like, that's that's kind of where I'm at so far. But that has been uh, that's been the game that's been eating up a lot of my uh, my recent gaming time. What have you been playing in quarantine, Dylan? Um, Let's see, a, a couple things. Uh... You know, I, I've still been playing some Blood uh, here and there, uh, continuing my first-person shooter experiments. Let me think. I'm trying to think what else I've been playing. Uh, I recently played through A Link to the Past again for, like, the fourth or fifth time, and <laughs> I 100% completed it, making it the first Zelda game I've ever played to hey, completion. Hey! That's a good That's a good one to 100%. Yeah. Um, There's enough there that it feels like an accomplishment, but it's not you know breath of the wild like especially because you you really don't have to go out of your way to get it all by the time i beat the game i was like oh i only have like eight or nine pieces of heart left to find and then like i've done everything else in this game because it's a very nice compact experience yeah on a on a similar note i hundred percented hollow knight a little bit ago during quarantine that game's like huge though it's it's enormous i did not 
fully 100% it because 100% in Hollow Knight is actually 112%, and I have not done all of the DLC stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, but I did do 100% of the base game, which mm-hmm. felt very cool and very good. Yeah, well, that's what's up. Gotta, uh, oh, sorry. Quarantine is definitely good for... Uh, diving really deep into big expansive world type games oh i i believe it i i I played a little bit of uh crimson shroud which was an indie game on the 3ds made by yasumi matsuno the uh brain behind final fantasy tactics vagrant story final fantasy 12 that's Um, a fucking pedigree yeah so very dylan core yeah very (laughs) incredibly dylan core incredibly dylan core um and that that game's interesting because it has like it's it's a it's a game on a budget um and it is the way they kind of represent the world is that like the characters are D miniatures and um they lean into that aesthetic super hard when you uh when you're in combat when you attack you actually roll dice to attack with the the bottom screen yo um and a huge oh, wait i've seen this game yes yes um a huge mechanic is actually um there's this sub game within combat where you have to chain elemental attacks in the right order to get rewarded with bonus dice that allow you to, they're basically inspiration dice. They allow you to add dice rolls to your dice rolls. So you have better success. Um, and I thought it was cool um, when I first played it, but like, I just had so much else on my plate that I wasn't really able to sit down and play it. And that is still the case, but it was fun to revisit. And that that is a case of, like, here's something interesting we can do with combat. Also, your abilities are tied to your equipment. There is no experience in this game. Um, so, cool. I dig it. Uh, but, like, what I've really been playing, and there, there's two big things that I've been playing. Um, I've recently gotten into the bullet hell genre. Yes, um, you have. Yes, and I- it hurts my brain. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it, it took me a while to, like quote-unquote get good at bullet hells um but like when it when it clicks man it's such a fucking rush i i i recently got introduced to the company cave uh which they are like the bullet hell company um back in the arcade days um and i've been playing ketsui which is one of their uh more pop i don't know if it's more popular but it's one of their highest regarded games and that it's also one of their most notoriously difficult, but I've been having a blast playing it because the scoring mechanics and everything are super good. And as we've established in the first episode of this show, I love scoring. I love leaderboards. I love points. They they kind of drive the stakes of the experience. I'm I'm kind of rambling right now, but I, I will get to the point eventually. I'm just kind I'm of excited. going down the list of what <laughs> we've what I've been up to as far as video games are concerned. Um, bullet hells are fun. Uh, you know, they take practice, uh, I guess like practice in the same way that like a fighting game takes practice where it's just kind of about knowing what you're up against and learning how to execute it. When you're, when you're playing a bullet hell, you're not so much dodging the bullets as you are trying to create and look for escape routes. Um, and then like once you, once your brain kind of realizes that it's like a switch gets flicked. And you just you approach the entire experience differently. It's it's really cool. Um, I recommend at least trying them. Um, but anyway, uh, the the big thing I want to talk about, and it's to tie back into the 
very loose Paper Mario theme we have for this yeah. episode. <laughs> um, I've been playing two Paper Mario-esque games. I have been playing Mario & Luigi Superstar Saga with my brother, Jordan. I love um, it. And I have also been playing Bug Fables for the Nintendo Switch. I think Switch. I'm going to love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're going to love it as well. Um, like I said off mic, um, Bug Fables isn't necessarily Paper Mario Thousand Year Door, but I do think it has, so far it feels very Paper Mario meets interesting fantasy world that is not the Mario universe. Yeah, it, it was more or less inspired to be like, hey, we want to make a Thousand Year Door-like, right? Mm. Like, that was the starting point? I, I don't know if I would say Thousand Year Door, because there's no, uh, you know, there's no audience system, there's no stylish. Um, okay. Like, it feels, the the setting at least, feels very comparatively vanilla, you know? Um, like, it's not rogue port. it's very much like, this is a fantasy bug-themed world. Um, sure. In some ways, it actually... And this is a compliment. This isn't an insult. I uh, have to preface that. Uh, it kind of <laughs> makes me think of the movie Ants, the DreamWorks movie Ants. Okay. Um, but like, you know, not necessarily, you know, I'm not, I don't see Woody Allen bug. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but like more, more in the sense of like, I do think Ants does some pretty cool things with like a, here is what a, you know, here's an anthropomorphized ant colony. And I, th I think they did that in a more interesting way than Pixar did, as controversial a take as that may be. Um, <laughs> I, I don't have, know. There, there I, was, oh, sorry. Yeah, I would ahead. love nothing more than for us to be flooded, like for our DM to just be inundated with angry people who have, in the current world, nothing better to do than to be mad at you for saying that Ants is better than A Bug's Life. Dude, no one fucking remembers A Bug's Life. It was the first movie I ever saw in theaters, and I have to be reminded of A Bug's Life. I rewatched it for the first time the other day, and I had forgotten a huge portion of it. I like the movie, but yeah. I'm, I'm not about to say... Like, I think, you know, I think on every other level, A Bug's Life is better than Ants. I just happen to like how Ants does its setting. Let me live, Chris. Yeah, I, I would be thrilled to death to have to wade through dozens of angry DMs from people who are mad at this take. That would be <laughs> the funniest shit I had ever seen. If you want to DM me, you can find me on Twitter at no. um, <laughs> At real Donald Trump. <laughs> well, I killed Dylan. <laughs> I was about to laugh, and then like, oh my god, you fucking killed me! I'm so sorry. Just... <laughs> I don't know if we can include that. Do you think Donald Trump opens his DMs? No, but somebody has to, and I want that person to have to deal with angry Bugs Life stands. Oh my god, okay. Okay, but anyway, uh, yeah, Bugs Life. Now that I've you made you have a fit. <laughs> It's true. I, I, I died. I, I had the consumption, as they would say in an eighteen hundreds Victorian novel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, it's it's very much. Um, like I'm trying to think of like the most like appropriate way to describe Bug Fable's setting. But you know, it's basically like how the original Paper Mario was like a here's a version of the Mushroom Kingdom you can explore. 
um bug fables very much feels like here is a society about bugs that you can explore so okay that's incredibly good it feels incredibly good the setting feels nice and well realized and makes me think of uh some settings from other games that i love uh i, I love the setting of final fantasy 10 even if it's not my favorite final fantasy i i love uh spira I, I don't know where I'm going with that, but like I, I it you know, it's it's a very detailed um setting that like feels very good. There's lore books you can find if that's your thing. Uh just you know, oh this shit sounds like very that. good to me. Yeah. Oh, I I think you'd like again, I think you'd love but uh bug fables. Um but basically what I'm getting at it is very much not the thousand year door, at least so far. Um it feels mm. very much more like a classic de- adventure if you're not going to go to a WWE tournament or a murder mystery on a train. Like, I don't think that's the kind of adventure they're going for unless they sure. surprise me in chapter three. <laughs> we'll see. But anyway, now that I got that out of the way, I'm on chapter two. And so far it's, it's pretty strong. Um, combat wise, it feels like paper Mario and thousand year door, except with a little bit more, I don't want to say meat. Cause that sounds dismissive of, uh the the games it's paying homage to it 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 feels like it just it's like the next step it feels like the next evolution okay and you know i'm waiting for chris to get his hands on the game and be like I don't, dylan doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about <laughs> filthy casual yeah we'll co- we'll do another bonus episode once i buy and beat bug fables of just me being like Here's why everything Dylan said in that previous episode is wrong. <laughs> Chris, if you don't like Bug Fables, I will pay for your copy. <laughs> no, I. everything I've seen of it, I very much doubt I will dislike it. It looks like a, an incredibly fun game, and it looks like a, the kind of game that is very much up my alley. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so uh, I guess like the, the thing I really want to talk about Bug Fables, and I, I touched upon it a little bit, is the, the way its setting feels, and... Um, it's also unlike uh, Paper Mario, where the focus is a bit more on what your party's doing rather than the party themselves. Like each character will have like a little introductory, like "Hi, I'm here," and like they'll they'll get their chapter, and then you know they they kind of become part of the silent legion that is yeah, the Mario, yeah. like that is Mario. Yeah, they all have like a moment of like here's my story and why I'm willing to join you on your adventure. And some of them are very involved, like the one for Captain Bobbery, who you need to help him, like, compartmentalize and deal with the grief of his dead wife who passed away from an illness while he was at sea before he can go on his adventure with you. I think about Bobbery every week since (laughs) I watched you play (laughs) Paper Mario the Thousand Year Door. It's so good. But, like, they're not all that extreme, but, like, that's kind of thing. Is like, you, you do that and then, like, you know... Bobbery has his unique dialogue for when it's coded in that, like, whatever party member is out has to say a thing, but that story is resolved, and then he's just kind of an extension of Mario for the rest of the game, narratively speaking. Which, side note, is kind of a problem I have with the original Final Fantasy VII that I'm kind of excited to see addressed in the remake. I don't think it's that bad for, like, every character, but there are definitely some characters where I'm like, I want to see more from you, but I never have you in my party. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, in, in very stark contrast to this, Bug Fables is an ensemble, uh, or I guess it's, you know, it's an ensemble of three, but uh, the party, each character gets equal amounts of time devoted to them. 
they all feel very fleshed out. Their personalities are very strong. And in every location you visit, um, they have something to say about them. For real, like, if you go to any location, any room in a dungeon, you can press the select button, and they'll all have a conversation about the room they're in. Well, that's rad. Yeah, uh, you know, they, they do the uh, the Goombella tattles on enemies and NPCs, uh, and each character has their own thing to say about an enemy that you tattle on. I love this. Yeah, like, it, it's it's very detailed. It it I It's been a while. I actually, I can't say it's been a while, because Dragon Quest Eleven also does this really well, but uh, there is so much care and love for the each character in the party um, on the side of the writers that it's just a very comfy feeling game. Like, yeah. you, you feel like you're on an adventure with friends, which is what I feel like an RPG should feel like. Yeah, no, I, I love games that are written in such a way that, like, you feel like the people you meet and the places that you are in exist beyond that moment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like, not every game manages to to uh, to achieve that, but just to to ping pong. Since we're ping ponging all over the place this episode, uh, that's one of my favorite things about Hollow Knight. Mm-hmm. Is that world feels like a place that existed like nowhere in that game feels like it's just there because the game designers needed it to be like it it is a world that very much makes sense and feels lived in Mm -hmm. and all of the characters like all of the npcs that you run into are on their own either like have had an adventure in the past or are on their own adventure alongside you yeah uh my favorite example is of which, and I guess spoilers for Hollow Knight, though I can't imagine anyone who cares about spoilers for Hollow Knight not having consumed Hollow Knight at this point. Um, <laughs> it's also fair. There is a character named Quirrell who you run into fairly early on. Oh, and I remember will, Quirrell. Yeah, you will run into you will run into them all throughout the world, like sitting at benches or in interesting areas, and they're always talking about like trying to figure out like what something is or just like being on an adventure and there's one moment when you run into him in the city of tears which is like the the capital city area which is also a beautiful area that is constantly raining even though you're underground uh and he his dialogue in that spot when if you talk to him enough times he says something like i love how i love all the rain falling down i would love there must be a huge body of water above us somewhere to be causing all this i'd very much like to see it before i leave this kingdom uh, and then at the end of his quest line, after he helps you fight one of the bosses in the game, you can find him at the Blue Lake, which is the area directly above the City of Tears and is a massive lake, and he's just sitting on the shore, like, watching the water, and you can just sit with him in silence for a minute. And, like, that is one of the most impactful moments I've had playing a game in a long time, because it just, Quirrell has his own has his own story that is running in parallel to yours, but it's not your story. And you just get to like be with him in that moment at kind of the end of both of your stories. And it's so cool. That's amazing. Like that is something that I really liked. And I, it's something that the paper Mario games had to an extent, but it sounds like bug Knight really doubled down or bug Knight, uh, bug, bug fables really doubled down on that. Like making it feel like a world that exists outside of your play. Yeah. Uh, something I really like is uh, in Bug Fables, there's so you're you're like part of adventuring groups. Um, they're typically duos, but your team has three members because fuck you. Um, and 
there's a group of adventurers who have never like fully explored an area before but like that's because they are the adventurers who gather information about a place and are willing to give it to adventurers who are willing to put in the work to fully finish that uh quest um and just like little details like that even as early in the game as i am because i have done a dungeon and i have visited the second town it's just there's a lot of really nice stuff in there uh so yeah, far I, and i'm really excited to see more of it i think we could do a whole episode on ways that game makers make their worlds feel inviting mm-hmm. in that kind of way because it's not always inviting in a pleasant way no but there's like there are games that you just kind of like want to spend time in and i think that we could get there, there's there's a lot oh, of dude, games that I are now coming to my mind time in silent hill uh specifically <laughs> silent hill 2 that's the name of the town yeah S- silent hill 2 welcome to silent hill 2 silent hill 1 broke down da- or burned down <laughs> But yeah, like I think we, I think that'll be another. Hey, man, we're just dropping little little breadcrumbs for the future for yeah, you guys right now. This is us. This is us recharging and this, you yeah. hearing our brainstorming sessions that we usually keep off tape. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I I'm 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 plumb out of stuff for today. If you are Dylan, yeah, I, I don't really have a lot to talk about. Um. Uh, quick shout out to Super Mario RPG. I've I've had Super Mario RPG on the mind a lot lately. I need uh, to play that game. I need to I need to track down a copy. I, I do. Man, think it's that worth is playing a, through at least once. That is a wild gap in my like gaming lexicon. Also, uh, don't feel compelled to track down a copy because my guy, that you would have to buy a Super Nintendo for that. Just pray that like Nintendo gets their yeah, shit together. And I guess that's the real thing. On. Just- like the the Switch, uh, Super Nintendo. The yeah, the Switch doesn't have a fucking virtual console. Just really give chafes, it to me. It chafes my balls, dude. I hate it. It chafes my balls. Just let me buy fucking. Let me pay you money for a thing you've already released. I don't like. I would. I will gladly spend twelve dollars for sin and punishment again. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. But yeah, before now, now that we've now that we bummed each other out, uh, thank you all for listening to the climactic return of backstage gaming. Uh, again, apologies for how long we were on hiatus. Everybody rumored, now. nobody believed. Yeah, <laughs> don't call it a comeback. Uh, I hope that you all enjoyed our our little return and our little kind of ping pong session of a to- of a of an episode. And we will be back next week for realsies with uh, a more, you know kind of grounded topic driven episode getting back into the usual swing of things and who knows maybe once we get back into the swing a little bit we'll go back to the two a week but mm-hmm. for right now let's just get let's just let's not push our luck right we gotta we gotta uh do our stretches before yeah, we, we dive into the deep end gotta do that that goku limber up pose yeah absolutely but thank you all for listening to this episode of backstage gaming we hope that you enjoyed it if you want to uh to Man, I need to remember how to do our fucking outro. Oh, Jesus. We also forgot to do the playbill, but like I think I think we're fine. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll do it next we'll week. We'll do that again next week. Like I said, this one was kind of a getting back into the groove, as you can tell. Uh how do I usually close this? It's been so Thank you for listening. Long. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and That's Stitcher. Right. <laughs> or the Google Play or the Google Play Store. Uh, or the Google Podcast Service. That's what it's called. You can also find us at our website, bsgpod.com. That is where you can find info about the show. You can find a contact form if you want to reach out to us. And you can find some bios about me and Dylan. Really, it's just your one-stop shop for all things backstage gaming. 
Um, you can also hit us up on social media. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, where our handle is at BSG underscore cast. And you can also find us on YouTube. And if you want to contact us or, you know, talk about the shit we talk about uh, during the episodes or whatever, if you want, uh, you should use that hashtag BSG pod. Also, huge, huge thanks to our friend Brendan French for the key art he has provided our show. If you want to check him out, you can find him on his Squarespace at brennan-french.squarespace.com. That is b-r-e-n-n-e-n-french.squarespace.com. You can also find him on instagram.com slash brennanfrencharts or on Twitter at brennan underscore French. Thank you also to our friend BioQuery for the use of our theme song, Dot Sound Radio, Volume 1, Instrumentality. He is a fantastic electronica composer and producer, and if you like our theme song, you should check out the rest of his music. You can do that by going to his SoundCloud, which is soundcloud.com slash BioQuery, that's B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y, or by heading to Spotify and searching for BioQuery. Also, big thank you to both the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. It's a great network full of video game-related podcasts, and you should check them out on Twitter at HPVGPodNetwork for all of your video game podcast needs. And big thank you to our patrons over at patreon.com slash bsgpod. It is a huge help to us that you are able to support us the way that you do. It means that we're not losing money making the show. And now that we're back, you won't be losing money supporting our show anymore. So thank you for being patient with us, all you lovely patrons. If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash bsgpod is the best way to do that. We did it. We remembered the groove. We got there. Hey, everyone. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being patient with us. And we'll be back again next week with another episode. I love you. I love you too. Are you more talking to me? Oh, that's embarrassing. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.